Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by John Cross of the Daily Mirror and Adrian Clark, the Tactical Analyst. According to their manager, United's players didn't want to be the clowns in the circus. Will City get the last laugh, or will this be a seriously unfunny week? Spurs lie in wait, remember. But Liverpool's visit in the Champions League is City's most important match under Pep Guardiola. What's gone wrong there, John? Sometimes you do have this negative momentum and you can quickly spiral out of control. And it almost feels like that. And I do fear for them. Ultimately, if, if it's a bad result or even if they don't go through, which I think would be a massive disappointment, even if they can win the game on the night, for Manchester City, this would be the, the week upon they reflect on a brilliant season. Let's not get run away from that and let's not hide from that. But this will be the season where they think, we could have made history, we could have done so much more, we could have done this, we could have done that and we could have been champions of Europe. And actually, this was the week that it all unravelled from being fabulous champions to being on the verge of greatness and that that is the difference and I felt that that the game at Anfield sapped so much from City because suddenly it meant that basically Guardiola's approach to the game on Saturday in Manchester Derby which desperately would have wanted to win the title well he's got to rest more players for Tuesday he's got to absolutely change and I think he was right to do so. I know they've lost the game, but you can't blame him for that. So that's then had that knock-on effect of, of, of that game. They now can't win it against Spurs, can they, until... I mean, even, you know, can't win it until the following day, potentially, when you can't see United slipping up against West Brom. And now they've got to come out all guns blazing with a gung-ho approach against Liverpool at home, which is always dangerous because you know that Jurgen Klopp's teams can score. And you just feel that... This season might have been so much better. And if we have to point to one week where it went particularly wrong, it's this week, sadly. Mm. What about the intensity of the pressure on you? You know, John talks about negative momentum. As a player, are you aware of that? Or is it something that us on the sidelines pontificate about? <laughs> Probably, yeah. I think, I think the media pontificate more than the players are, are really registering that as such. Obviously, they feel under pressure, but, but you can't go out onto a football pitch unless you're feeling confident. And, and they will have felt confident going to, going to Anfield. It's just that they were blown away. And they've been blown away quite a lot of times at Anfield, haven't they, in, in recent times? A real bogey ground for them. So, no, I don't think it was down to, to pressure necessarily. I just think Liverpool produced a, a really special performance on the night. And it, it did outline the fact that, that you can get at this Man City side. If you can get the ball off of them, which has been really hard to do, hasn't it, this season? You can get the ball off of them and get at players like Otamendi and in and around their fullbacks, test them defensively, you can beat them. And mm. Liverpool, I think their approach to this second leg needs to be positive. If, if they're thinking, sit back, block up spaces, like they did in the second mm, half, yeah. really effectively, by the way. Game management was outstanding. If they think like that from the off here, could be in trouble. Mm. I think they should go on the front foot, Liverpool. So City's best policy is to meet it with intensity, fight fire with fire then? Absolutely. And I feel that because of his team selection on Saturday, you absolutely have, have to see that basically he's going to go all guns blazing. And I think Sane will be instrumental through the middle. I mean, Gabriel Jesus, you know, I'm sure will start. Aguero is that an option? 
Um, suddenly, you, you know, Sterling, does he come back into the picture to start a game? Uh, of course, he was left out at Anfield and then didn't have the most pleasing game <laughs> in the Manchester derby. But he's absolutely got to be positive, go on the front foot. And, I mean, everyone talks about Liverpool scoring and City needing five. Well, that's as maybe, but City cannot concern themselves about that. And in credit to them, City, this season... You know, Otamendi made mistakes on, on Saturday, but outsta- he's been outstanding for much of the campaign. And they've got to find that, that right balance. I try, wouldn't was say... he trying to be too clever with Laporte at left-back? Yes, I do. But he did play ever so well Laporte at Everton, didn't he? I like Laporte. Mm. Yeah. yeah, he's a good player. He's a centre-half, though, isn't he? I just, I just think, in yeah. the Champions League, he's mucked up before, hasn't he, Pep Guardiola, trying these unusual philosophies and approaches. And... Yeah, I just thought that one was one that, that could have paid off big time, yeah. but it was the Because it was interesting, Pep came out and said, look, blame me for this, it yeah. could well be me. Yeah. Now, OK, I know all managers do that to try and protect their players. Yeah. Um, but what do you read into that? I, I think he's being honest. I, I think he's genuinely being reflective. I think you have to as a manager. And tactically, he's been superb, hasn't he? This mm. season, he's improved Man City enormously. And you... Well, you can count the off days, you know, on on half a hand. They've been they've been magnificent, but that wasn't great from him. I think the selection was a bit negative, um, and putting a centre half up against Salah, I, I felt was in an alien position for Laporte. I felt was was maybe asking too much of him. So look, what will he do for this return? Like, will he try and be fancy, or will he go back to just what his best team is and what it has been all season? I think the left back position is probably the one unknown, really, isn't mm. it? He might, he might even choose Zinchenko, the more attack-minded player of the options he's got available. Um, but they can't go at it crazily, Man City. They can't be gung ho. It's one, one more goal for Liverpool, and it's really it's all over, isn't it? So, um, but, look, but don't they have to roll the dice? No, I think you have to roll it in a controlled way. Okay. I think so. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be... Don't expect Carl Walker to be playing right wing and, and the left back yeah. to be flying up. That's the last 20 minutes that's, thing, isn't That's it? last 20 minutes. I think it will be... We, we dominate the ball. We have the ball as much as possible and we can grind down what is a very average Liverpool defence. That will be their message. Mm. It's whether Liverpool can assert their will on City like they did at Anfield. I think that's the, the crux of this. And if they can... Liverpool will get a good result. Mm. Simon Mullock has, of the Sunday Mirror, who's very well connected mm. at Manchester City, did a piece at the weekend talking about new contract for Pep, which we knew about. He's put figures to that, £450,000 a week. <laughs> Value for money? Oh, yeah. I just think that Guardiola has been um, has been absolutely outstanding um, You know, this season. He's pushed it to a whole new level. As disappointing as he was last season, and I say disappointing because that's only because of the virtue of the fact that the expectations that he brings, because he has been such an outstanding coach. I mean, listen, I'm sure that the Sunday Mirror office (laughs) sort of viewed it as probably champagne pep headlines and then basically, you know, wins the title, here's (laughs) a bumper new contract. And so they probably had to merge that story in with, with kind of the heartbreak of that Manchester derby. But... I just think it's really good news, actually, that, that basically that City obviously is very confident that he will sign it and, and he will put pen to paper. Because I just think sometimes you have to sort of step back and it's not just about Man City. But I do think that Pep Guardiola has, has brought about a, a, a revolution almost to English football in the way that he's suddenly taken the game to a whole new level. He's suddenly pushed up standards of attacking and standards of play in the Premier League. And I just think that when managers and clubs do that, Mourinho famously did it with Chelsea in that, in that mm. first spell. Ferguson has done it time after time. What generally happens is that others have to sort of stand up to the sort of and step up to the plate and then have to follow suit. And it brings everyone up and it raises the standard. And I think the Premier League at times has had a little bit of a dip, largely because I think that, that we're lacking those grade A superstars. And I think Guardiola has now brought a bit of a revolution and a raised standards. Yeah. Best manager on the planet. No yeah, question. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, we'll go on to Liverpool, um, obviously, in a second. But I just want to dwell on Manchester United. One, we're getting pelters from Man United <laughs> fans <laughs> saying, you never give him any, uh, yeah. Jose any credit. He, does he deserve credit for that? I think he probably well, does. Yeah. yeah, Manchester United as a whole deserve credit yeah. for that second half. How much of it was to do with Mourinho? I don't know. We, we weren't in that dressing room. We have heard reports that it was Michael Carrick and Ashley Young that were delivering the rousing speech at half-time, which is really interesting. And actually, it takes a good manager to, to recognise that 
actually the message might be more effective coming from these guys than me. Yeah. Um, so if that well, did Car Carrick especially because he's got the authority of yeah. being, you know, at er early stages of being a coach, but he's one of them. Yeah, of course. Um, so so that in itself is is, is wise management. Uh, it would annoy me a little bit if I was a Manchester United fan that second half performance because I'd be I would be asking why do we see this more often. This is brilliant. This is what we can play. They've got the attacking armoury to play like that every week. And they should be, I'm not saying they should be scoring as many goals as Manchester City because they've been borderline ridiculous, but they should be very close to them in the goals for tally and they're miles away. Mm -hmm. So um, I think the lesson to be learned is if Man United are assertive and aggressive and attack-minded, they're a better team. Mm. With Paul Pogba playing the role that he played on Saturday? It was interesting to hear him talk, you know, I mean, it, it seemed a little bit of a frustrating interview post-match because he wasn't talking about the issue of the day, which was obviously the, the, the soap opera of, of, of Real v, v Guardiola and being caught in the middle. But it was interesting him being talking about how that extra freedom of playing in a three after, after the game mm. um, gave him that licence to get forward. And for me, there's no way that, that basically... that, that Pogba is anything but an, an attack-minded, offence-minded sort of um, midfield player. He's not even an eight, is he really? I'll tell you who he is. Mm. He's a poor man's Aaron Ramsey. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, but, but in a way, he reminded me, when he scored those goals, it reminded me of Aaron yeah. Ramsey. People will laugh at that, but, but it did. And I think if you've got Sanchez, who is a much more creative player than people give him credit for, he's Man United's best creator. Yeah. He, he tees up their best chances. If you've got him dropping short, you need Pogba getting in the box. And I think he's just not done it enough this no. season. Yeah. And, and, and when he gets in there, he's, he's proven he can be pretty deadly. Talking of being creative, what do you think of the hairstyle? I, I thought it was a bit of a disgrace. I thought it was... <laughs> I'm interested by this, you see. The I, former player takes offence more than the journalist. I've asked a few Man United fans and they're split. One, one of them said, I'm not bothered at all, it's the modern player. Yeah. Another one was saying, look, he had to deliver because it was... I felt it was attention-seeking and I felt it was disrespectful to Man United, really, to dye your hair in Man City colours ahead of that game. You're putting yourself on a bit of a pedestal, aren't you? I, look, it, it just... It wouldn't have been well received in the old Arsenal dressing room that I was part of. That's for sure. If someone had turned up, you know, ahead of a Tottenham game. Well, they got they got the hair dye out, die out with yeah, that in, the, just, in the build up. I just it just wouldn't have been accepted. Someone would have got the clippers out and they would have shaved it off. <laughs> so, but look, times have changed. Times have changed <laughs> because you know that was such a, a high intensity occasion more than a football match. We've got Ander Herrera, who actually I thought was it was excellent and also. Probably has been really underused this season. You know, supposedly spitting on the city badge. What do you make of that? Yeah, it, it was a strange one. That I, I did feel. I do feel as if it's in in some way it's offended Man City as a club. Otherwise, I don't think you know, kind of you know, well-informed journalists writing about it would have would have written about it and taken it quite so seriously. But I have to say, you know, there, there was an incident during. During the game I watched yesterday, where where the you know the camera pans to the referee and he's just spat and it it looked horrendous in front of the camera. It was such an obvious moment, and I was thinking, Ugh. <laughs> and then basically it's just I'm not I'm not completely convinced that that managers and personalities within games who spit because they need to sometimes they spit out of frustration, they spit out of anger, they spit out of will that they always mean to offend like that. And do I think that's the worst crime in the world? Does he, does he, I'm not completely convinced that he, set out to, that he set out to offend Man City. Yeah. Man City needs to grow up. That's, that's a nothing story. I don't think he meant to. And if he did, so what? Yeah. Let's get back to football, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> um, Liverpool. What have Liverpool got to do on Tuesday night? What have Liverpool got to do? I, I Go back to what I say. I think they need to just play their natural game. I think that's the best way to approach it. Get on the front foot, try and score a goal. Um, they were battered, weren't they, 5-0. I think discipline is probably the most important word. Um, because, and by that I mean don't give away penalty. Don't lose someone to a red card because that could change everything. First half red dismissal, you know, um, could let City back in. I think discipline is important, but also 
to have that natural attacking mentality and, and to go out there and try and try and win the game. If they sit back, Liverpool, and know they sat back in the second half of the first match, they did it really well. But if they do it here at the Etihad, I think that it's you know dicing with death really. So uh, I would um, urge them to play typical Klopp football. They're going to be missing their captain, Henderson. Mm, mm. Um, Big miss. What about Wijnaldum? Has he got enough about him to do that defensive midfield role? I, I don't think that's him as a player. I, I, I watched you know, much of the game on, on the Merseyside derby and he's a very busy player. He's very, you know, he gets around the pitch um, and tries to make things tick and you know, make things happen and make things work. And he's very effective at what he does. In, I mean, he has been largely a squad player this season, but for Liverpool to miss, you know, Henderson and obviously Emre Chan's been out now for, for quite some time. They're, they're big parts of how Liverpool, away from home in such a big game, when they're going to be on the back foot for long periods, would want to set up. And I think for Wijnaldum, that wouldn't be his natural way. I think that Wijnaldum, in many ways, would be his ideal away from home, making things happen and trying to sort of make things sort of as one of those two, but he would be the sort of more proactive number eight and who would sit? That that, that That's a real issue for me. Do, do you I, go with Milner? I think Milner. Mm, I yeah. think Milner is I thought he guy. was fantastic in yes, the first absolutely. leg. Yes, absolutely. And it was a nice balance to the team and, yeah. and that would be my... I think you can get away with Milner and Wijnaldum yeah. and Milner playing the more deeper role. And it's, then, th it's a three, isn't it? I, I think it would be Mil Milner, the Ox, and probably Wijnaldum if Chan's not available. But Milner will be Liverpool's most important player in this game. He's covered so much ground. He's got to screen the service into the front guys. And I think he sets the tone for the Liverpool performance. He was nine and a half out of ten in that first leg. He was uh, nicking so much, yeah. so much possession yeah, for him. If he plays that well again, Liverpool won't, won't blow it. Mm. Is that then a case for actually almost like strategic retirement for international football? Which is what... Yeah, Milner has done. Yeah, well, it's interesting, isn't it, with Milner? Because I've many enjoyed many a sort of a press conference with with uh, James Milner for England, where he mm. sat there. Is he as boring as the Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, he's not really. And we've had many a press conference where we've asked, you know, kind of about the boring James Milner um, Twitter. And I love the fact now that he has set up his own social media on, on various Which platforms. Is really boring, isn't it? <laughs> well, part, part of the charm of it, though, he set off from day one to take the mickey out of the boring James Milner sort of alter ego. And, you know, he is that... He comes across as sometimes as sort of a gruff, you know, deep voice sounding sort of um, gruffly spoken sort of Yorkshireman sort of thing, really sort of coming across in, in, in that way. But it's not, I, I do think he's got a nice sense of humour about him, really. Mm. And um, But he, he has proved that right, I think, because with England, he went away. And while I think that England is still the ultimate, particularly in tournaments and so on, it was such a big call for him to make because he'd often go away as the squad man. So he'd be 13th or 14th man, wouldn't regularly start. And I just think if he was an absolute starter, if he was nailed on to playing the team, and this isn't him sulking or throwing toys out the pram because he's not playing, it's just being realistic about where he is in his career. And he's kicked on as a result because he's getting that break. Sometimes it can be draining, I think, if you're away every other week sort of thing, you know, and particularly you know, in an international week. How many times week. a race, you know. Yeah, but it's combined, though, with, mm. with, the, with the Champions League yeah. football. I think, it would, I think it would have been the but toughest made, the, decision the of his life, made, I think, The point you made is a, is a pertinent one, in my opinion, and that is it's because he's a squad player. If he yeah. was nailed on to start for England, he'd mm. go. Mm. And that tells you that he didn't want to be a sub for England. And, and I, I'm just completely against players retiring from, from international duty early. I actually think it should be banned. You should be allowed to do it. If the country calls you, you play. <laughs> but I know that's super old-fashioned, but, yeah. but that's how yeah. Yeah. But he is, you know, forget the sort of flat caps and Tetley's image of the, you know, the, the Yorkshireman. He is a natural leader, I feel, in terms yeah. of he leads by example rather than doing the rah, rah, rah he's stuff. He's pro, isn't he? He's, he's yeah. old school. Isn't he? Yeah, he's proper old I love the fact that he basically played for a long period last season, didn't he? At left back, mm. didn't ever complain about it clearly, and he actually brought a different dimension to it. Played it really well, mm. and then can play 
you know, slightly advanced in midfield or can sit in midfield. The fact that he's there and he's such a good squad player, and I don't mean that in a detrimental way, but he can cover different positions and do different things. And his shining performance of the whole season was last week in arguably the biggest game of the season. What what about Virgil van Dijk? Are we looking there at a a Liverpool captain in the very near future? Maybe, yeah. Uh, It depends what the the candidates are. I mean, Jordan Henson might have something to say about that. He's not going anywhere in a hurry, I'd imagine. But he's a leader anyway. I don't think he would need the arm. He's added a lot to that defence, hasn't he? He is a Rolls-Royce defender. I I really like him. And uh, yeah, I've seen signs that he's developing and improving as a player. He's still still young enough to get better, isn't he? Um, Yeah, Virgil van Dijk, fabulous signing. I I, I was surprised, really. Actually, I was astonished that the other big guns in the Premier League didn't up the ante and try to match Liverpool's transfer fee and, and wage, you know, wages for, for Virgil van Dijk because he, he would have improved every team in the country. Mm. What about the value of a local hero, John? Thinking of uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Mm. Um, did incredibly well in the first leg. He, he will be targeted again if he plays. Yeah. Uh, a really... Well-rounded kid for someone who's 19, socially aware, you know, active in the community. How important is it to have that type of player in the modern Premier League, which is all about glitz and globalisation? Well, I do think it's vital, actually. And I think that particularly with a club like Liverpool, which I think is close to its community and close to its, to its roots, and that's why I think many things are known. It's obviously not local, but Jurgen Klopp gets it with Liverpool and he has that connection because he's very much with the fans, isn't he? He's so, so much of a cheerleader on the, on the touchline. And I think that's why he's such a great fit. But for, for Trent Alexander-Arnold, brilliant connection there because he is the local boy made good. Uh, he shared the duties for much of the season at right back with Joe Gomez. Um, you know, there's been no impatience. There's always been a readiness to sort of almost rotate that role. Gomez is out now, so... You know, he knows he's going to be playing for some weeks and he's really stepped up with confidence and he's on the front foot, he's determined. And I think that it was attack was the best form of defence for me in that in that first game because he's very sort of on the front foot, but he was tenacious in the tackle. I love the way that he connects. Look, again, similarly, Andy Robertson, you know, he, he's came from sort of humble beginnings and I think oh, four as or result, five years ago he was in the fourth tier of Scottish football that's remarkable and he shone didn't he for, for Hull and I'm sure that a lot of clubs then looked at him and thought about it but then Liverpool were able to offer this and, and I like that connection yeah they've solved the, the fullback issue and I'll tell you what Klopp has done well in the second half of the season I think he's recognised not fiddling with the defence mm. is the right thing to do didn't he change his defence every every week for the first few yeah, months? Yeah, it was sent to half bingo for it a while, wasn't it? It was incredible. Um, but, and I know he still does rotate, but for me it's a no-brainer that, that Alexander-Arnold is now the number one mm. at Liverpool. I think he's been brilliant yeah. for his age. Incredible talent. He's the number one right-back. Robertson is the number one centre-half. Virgil van Dijk, brilliant centre-half. It's all about next season... Who are you going to buy to play alongside? Uh, Mind you, if Lovren uh, plays as well as he did in the mate, first game, mate, oh, he, he was excellent. Yeah, but <laughs> no one, no say. one can convince me that Lovren is the future of Liverpool. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's have a very quick look at the other the other ties, Champions League ties. You know, I, I was in Barcelona for a study visit for a few days. Saw Messi on Saturday night score his 45th hat trick. You look at them. You know, they're, they're too much for for Roma. What do you make of that Spanish challenge, John? Because you've also got Real Madrid. Mm. You know they drew in the derby. They're eleven points behind Barcelona in the league now. Gareth Bale, you know, had a, a you know an excellent game. Yep. Ronaldo scored yet again. What's the challenge like from Spain? Well, I, I do think it's a massive challenge for, for Real Madrid. And look, I, Barcelona are so far ahead of the rest, and it's an interesting La Liga simply because it's looks so unusual, doesn't it, really? Basically, you didn't expect quite Real Madrid to be so far adrift and now trailing, obviously, Valencia and Atletico. So it's an interesting one. I look at Barcelona, and even though they are so far ahead, I still think that they've got, you know, kind of jinx in their armour a little bit. And you wouldn't say that they are the force and the absolute favourites that they might have been, say, two, three, maybe four years ago. Whereas Real Madrid seem to have this remarkable habit of when they're under pressure, particularly with Zidane, when he needs something special out of Europe, 
I mean, Zidane for me at the moment, I mean, this season has been really lame and somewhat pathetic at times. Mm. Some of the performances and results have been laughable, frankly. And, and yet, actually, there they are, digging out arguably, you know, the, I mean, we, we look obviously at, at Liverpool, Man City, but what a result that was in, mm. in Turin to, oh, yeah. to go and, and, and win like that and to win with such style. They can win the Champions League and it then does it give Zidane another stay of execution. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? I it's mean, quite it, something when you've got to win the Champions League, keep your job, isn't well, it? And, and then yeah. win it and win it and win it, you know, how many times in a row? I mean, it's incredible. And they're doing, they're doing it, carrying a centre-forward. Karim Benzema has been rubbish this oh, season. He is, he, he, he's, for me, he's a, a bit of a busted flush at the yeah. elite level. I, I still don't understand why Bale can't get in the, the first choice. I don't. The first choice. Uh, like, I mean, I, I commentated on the game before at Las Palmas. He was, he was brilliant. He was easily Real Madrid's best player. Then he was left out of the, of the game against Juve. OK, fantastic result. They didn't need him, but... Yeah, I, I think I think Benzema. I don't know what's going on there, um, but yeah, once they do upgrade mm. Benzema next year, don't you think uh, Benzema adds to the team? I always do. In terms of the way that the play oh, brings out the done. best of Ronaldo, oh, he has done. Yeah. He has done. But if you look at him this season in isolation, he's been very mediocre. Mm. Like, yeah, I, I'm not sure he adds that much. Mm. Yeah, I think it might be it, it might be a feeling that he adds much and he helps Ronaldo, but. Uh, and that Ronaldo and Bale don't play as well together. But, yeah, I'm not sure I'm having that. But Bale should be in the team, in my view. I've been really impressed with Bayern Munich. You know, very yeah. quietly getting on with it. Um, Lewandowski, mm. do you ever see him coming to the Premier League? Well, he, I must say he's an interesting one for me because we always talk about kind of, you know, make these kind of uh, comparisons, don't we? Harry Kane is the best striker in the world, best centre-forward, and there's no-one else like him in Europe. Uh, hang on a minute. <laughs> what about this bloke who scores... Hatfuls and hatfuls of goals every week for Bayern Munich, and it's just the amazing way that we almost arrogantly overlook overlook Lewandowski. And I, I do think that it, there's been points in this season where you think, is he is he going to have a new challenge? Because I, I I get that impression that maybe you know he, he's up for a new challenge, whether that be you know he's been sort of kind of slightly linked with Real Madrid and and also the Premier League. I tell you what, he'd be a sensation in the Premier League. He would score so many goals, I think, because he's that rounded player. He does absolutely everything. He links play, doesn't he? He's a complete centre-forward, so prolific. Some of his ratios, some of his goal-scoring runs, and he is a player that scores in streaks. It's just remarkable. He would be a sensation in the Premier League. Yeah, I agree. Arsenal, club, uh, you know, both of you well-connected. Um, Adrian, do you think they're going to win the Europa League? <laughs> They've got a chance, yeah. I mean, the momentum's with them. The form's really good, actually. Six wins on the spin. Um, five home games in a row scored at least three in all of them, which which isn't shabby, you know, no matter which way you look at it. Um, I don't think they're the best team left in the Europa League. I think Atletico Madrid are the best team left in it. Um, if they can avoid them in the semi-final, they're, they're capable of winning, beating them in a one-off game in the final, for sure. But no, I think Atletico are the favourites. So Arsenal are the clear... Clear second favourites. But look, it's, it, it's shaped up really nicely. I think the performance against CSK Moscow in the first leg was outstanding going forward. Defensively, shaky. Mm. Not convincing at all. But but going forward, it was electric, wasn't it? And Ozil and Ramsey on that particular night were untouchable almost. It, it was a performance of, of two really elite players that night. And some people will say, OK, it's only CSK Moscow. But I genuinely believe that they, they were, that was a special performance from the pair of them. Mm. Uh, are you going to Moscow? Yes. Yeah. What do you expect to see from that defence there? Because they can't afford the sloppiness they showed against Southampton. Can they? <laughs> no. I, well, what I expect to see back is, is Koscielny play. Because they have managed him, I think, through, through, through the season. Clearly, this Achilles problem is an issue. And I think that's a worry for Arsenal long term. But it was interesting that I felt, again, that the... It's, it's basically is an admission at the moment that he cannot play twice in a week, and that they are absolutely prioritising the Europa League. They need him as a leader and as a good, um, strong centre half. I think that he's a very good defender. He's not obviously as good as he was, and his levels where I thought honestly two or three years ago he was one of the best in Europe, and, and I really mean that. I do think he was an outstanding centre half, but he's nowhere near that now. But I do think one thing that he gives you is he brings out 
a better performance in Mustafi. I'm not a Mustafi fan. He looks a liability at the moment. Well, he is. I mean, he's really, he's such a. I don't think he's. He, he's yeah. he should be nowhere near that. Arsenal. Yeah, Mustafi doesn't feel your confidence. He makes too many basic defensive areas. I think he doesn't. He doesn't think like a natural defender. Shkodran Mustafi, which is amazing given how far he's mm. come mm. and that he's a full international. Because um, for sure, I'd agree with your assessment. I believe Arsenal to stand any chance of making big strides next season have to buy two first choice centre backs. I think. I think two centre-backs has to be the priority. If they can nail and get the right people in at centre-half, they, they can be a, a top team again, Arsenal. But but with the current personnel, I, I'm just not convinced, sadly. Mm. What do you make of, of Danny Welbeck, John? You know, it's the first time he scored five Premier League goals in a season since 2013-14, mm. which when you're at Premier League level, that's not the best, is it? It's not the best. I would say, in fairness to him, he's had sort of a couple of years of injury-ravaged years, really, mm. Terrible luck. <clears throat> he did burst on the scene with r- r- amazing, you know, sort of plaudits from Sir Alex Ferguson. He, he felt that he could go on and be the best striker in the country. Um, I mean, the thing about Danny Welbeck is that sometimes I think his vers- versatility um, helps him. Sometimes I think it holds him back because there's a temptation because he works so hard and he does such a good job for the, for the team. You could play him on the left-hand side of attack, but where I think he's... Ideally, he'd like to work on, you know, being a centre-forward out and out. But now, because they've got Lacazette and Aubameyang, you can't really work it like that. But he, honestly, the, the way that he missed that chance yesterday, well, I think in previous times he would have let his head sink. A massive credit to him then, the towering header at the back Great post. Winner, wasn't it? Brilliant yeah. goal. And I'll tell you what, the that match has outlined his value to the squad um, and actually to the way they play. Because if Arsene Wenger wants to use him as a left-winger, He's got a second striker. He's a genuine second striker. And what I noticed is when Arsenal had the ball, he would pretty much go and stand in the centre-forward position and join in with Aubameyang and, and later Lacazette. And I think that's a real plus. But hasn't he got that left-wing berth for Aubameyang? Oh, maybe. I mean, he's trialled it, hasn't he? And mm. I think that that is a way you can fit the two of them in together. I'd still like to see them as an orthodox front pair. Don't think it's going to happen, not this season. But... You, what you might see is a Bamiyang used on the left, joining in as a second striker, and it's something that can work. It's just the issue I've got with it is in certain games, uh, particularly the tough away games, you don't want a Bamiyang spending his time in the left back slot, do you? Mm, so mm. I think that will be a home game thing for Arsenal moving forwards, and when they come to the tougher games, it will be a Bamiyang or Lacazette as the primary striker. I do actually think Arsenal as well as a couple of centre-halves, could do with a, a natural left-sided, a left-footer uh, in that position, just mm. as an option to give them more balance. Mm. OK, uh, Arsene Wenger debate part 398. <laughs> um, where are we with it at the moment, do you think? Well, I do think much depends on, on, on the Europa League, but, look, I mean, I just think he should have gone last summer and it would have been so much so much easier. Again, he's given himself this, this day of execution... I still think that he could win the Europa League um, and then still go because I just feel that that would be the perfect way to say goodbye in many ways, get them back into the Champions League. The problem that they've got is that basically, I, I, I don't agree with fans staying away, particularly if they bought the, the mm. season tickets already. Um, so don't get me wrong, I'm not sort of saying, oh, we all know how expensive it is to go and watch football in, in, in the modern era, don't we, of course? Mm. And I'm not knocking any fan for, for doing that and it's their, it's their right to do as they wish. But I just think that the, the biggest thing, almost the biggest rider on, uh, in the decision to stick or twist with him, at the moment, it just feels like it's petering out into nothingness, the, the domestic season, with so many staying away. It was a much be- better and bigger attendance, I thought, against CSK in, in the first leg. But to have so many empty seats for a, a, a towards-the-end-of-the-season league game will be a worry. And, and maybe that that's satisfaction for those who want change. But I do think when, when they think about it, and there will be a review, I think, at the end of the season, then I think they'll have to think clearly about whether... Wenger should stay or go. The league table imposes its its own review, doesn't it? Having seen Southampton against Arsenal, yeah. do you think they'll stay up? Uh, they show signs of promise. I think they're a better side under Hughes than they were the previous manager. I mean, they're terrible, weren't they, under Pellegrino? 
um, didn't look like scoring a goal. That's changed. I think the return of Charlie Austin is, is great news for them. What goes against them is the fixture list. Mm. It's horrendous. I think they've got Bournemouth at home, which is a winnable game, but it's a derby of sorts. might not be easy. They've got some really hard games. I think, the, is it away to Everton and Leicester? They're, the, they're like almost the easier games for them uh, because they're sort of in mid-table nothingness, those two. But... Um, they need. I think they will need to to go away to a couple of the big boys. They got two members of the big six away, and need mm. to go there. And they get got Chelsea, but they got Chelsea the weekend, haven't they? Yeah, I, I, hand on heart, I think they've left themselves with too much to do. I don't think they're one of the three worst teams in the league, unfortunately. Um, but they're too far behind, and the fixtures are really bad. Mm. You saw Chelsea yesterday, John. Mm. <laughs> um, I think it's pretty much settled now, isn't it, the top four by the look of things? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What was the mood of the place like? And what was Conte's mood like afterwards? Well, it was it was a strange atmosphere yesterday, simply because the club did so well in, mm. in with the tributes with Ray Wilkins. I thought it was so moving, so poignant. And a lot of the staff, a lot of the, the, the people that you see week in, week out, mm. had such an affection for Ray Wilkins. So... Not like Teresa in the press room. Absolutely, like and Brian, and, and they were so upset. And, and understand, I don't know how Teresa at one point didn't break down in tears. You know, it was a very emotional day for people like that who absolutely died in the wall. Chelsea, been great club servants. Um, and I mean, the most poignant thing of, of all, I thought, was these two empty season tickets just in front of the press mm. box. I mean, Ray Wilkins absolutely, you know, bled, bled Chelsea, really did. And I think massive credit, I must just make the point that West Ham fans who takes some stick, mm. uh, they, they were as loud as anyone in the stadium shouting his name, by the way. That's the overall affection that everyone throughout mm. football holds for Ray Wilkins. That was brilliant. Mm. But look, on the pitch, it wasn't befitting almost of the occasion simply. And I thought as soon as Chelsea scored, well, they're going and win the game, no problem at all. But they didn't, and they didn't push on. And Murata looks out of form. I mean, honestly, the, 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 he had two disallowed for offside, the second of which... I think is schoolboy stuff because he can look across the line, mm. and it's so easy to run into that space when William plays it across, and he still veered offside. I mean, for me, that's unforgivable. They're wasteful with their finishes, and it all brings us back to they've dropped more points at home now and one-one draw. Guess how many games they've won in the Premier League in 2018? It's Three. Three. It's unbelievable. This team are defending champions. They're supposed to be going to defend their title and they've won three games this year. It's um, it's astonishing. That shows you how far they've fallen, how far the players think that, that basic Conte's out the door in the summer because mm. subconsciously, I'm not saying that they, re they rebelled against him, but in the, the back of their minds, they're thinking, this bloke won't be here next year. Yeah. Chelsea are a club in meltdown. We've got the secret derby this weekend. Well, the secret derby outside sort of South London and the South yeah. Coast. 45 Crystal, miles it is. <laughs> Crystal Palace, <laughs> yeah. Brighton. Yeah. Uh, massive game for both those clubs, isn't it? It is, yeah, because Brighton have got a tough run in as well. They, they yeah. could do with the points, for sure, even though they look safe. I don't think they totally yet. Um, I, I would fancy Palace here. I like, I like what I've seen from Palace of late. And I like the fact that Roy Hodgson finally recognised that Ben Teke is, is borderline lost course up there. He's, he's mm. done nothing. He is injured, to be fair, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. But I like the fact that that he's gone back to Townsend and Zaha up top. That was, from, in my opinion, when Palace were at their most exciting this season with those two sort of as these roving strikers, pace, movement. And, and I think they'll be a nightmare for, for Duffy and Dunk to, to come up against at the weekend. So, um, so yeah, look, I think well, Hodgson's done an amazing job, actually. I think he's done a brilliant Brilliant job. Uh, Milivojevic has obviously stepped up, hasn't he, to the plate. Uh, excellent campaign from him. And I think Palace will will survive, and I think they'll they'll flourish next season. Mm. What about Huddersfield, John? Uh, they got a win against Watford at the weekend. Well, yeah, you would think so, but they just seem <clears> to be struggling. <throat> and the biggest thing for for me is Huddersfield with goals. I mean, you know, what's their their game? The highlights of their game against Brighton um, on Saturday, and I mean, it was a gift of a goal. Yeah. I mean, without that, where do they yeah. where are they <laughs> scoring from? I mean, it was a most unusual. Uh, mistake from Brighton because they're, 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 they're two defenders uh, Duncan Duffy have been absolute rocks haven't they this season uh, but I think Huddersfield uh, Huddersfield and, for me Huddersfield and Swansea are the ones that are still in danger because Huddersfield with their lack of goals is a big issue they could have easily won the game uh, sorry lost the game <clears> after Brighton had a man sent off 
um, which I think is, is pretty damning in its own right, really. Schindler's been good. I think Schindler's had a, had a terrific season. He could just about hold them together. I've, I've been really impressed with him. But I, I agree. Scoring goals has been, been a big issue. And I think if you're Southampton or Stoke, they're the team that you're trying to reel in. Mm. And uh, it's just their home form. They are capable of these odd rousing home performances had the sphere where they can, can beat anyone. They do play Arsenal on the final mm. day of the season and Arsenal will effectively have nothing to play for there. That, that could be the game that might even save Huddersfield. Mm. You've got Stoker in um, pretty much last mm. chance saloon territory. They play West Ham next. Uh, pertaining to that, some of the, the listeners and the viewers' questions, one from Pete Alderman. Will Mark Hughes get two clubs relegated in the same season? <laughs> well, he could do. I'm always, I'm always quite a Mark Hughes fan, and I do think... Football is a terrible industry and sort of terrible sport for basically forgetting everything in, in sort of in the, in the space of 60 feet, forgetting everything that went before. Because Mark Hughes actually did well at Stoke overall, but this season was a disaster. Let's, let's not beat around the bush. And then he's put his reputation on the line to go and try and save a Southampton team who in the bottom three with that squad is criminal. But I'd, look, I think the problem for Southampton is that they've got a hard run in and, yeah, they're, they're running out of games and it's about who they can really in because I thought they were much better against Arsenal and Stoke have improved under Lambert, in fairness, but we're still seeing the same picture of the Premier League. It's not changed a dot because those two in, in the bottom three, you kept on expecting them to improve and their results to improve and they haven't. But I do think that we will see, just my view, that Southampton, I think, are the more likely ones to kind of make a late push. And I think that we will see some tension in the bottom half, of, sort of in the bottom six, simply because I think Southampton's results have to improve sometime. Largely basis, I thought, on the fight that I saw this season. But yeah, they've got, he's got every, coming back to the original point, he's got, there's every chance that he might relegate yeah. too. Um, yeah, Everton are out of it. Uh, Steve Doyle, though, asks, who will take over from Big Sam in the summer? Now, I know uh, PSV have said they've been talking to their technical director, uh, Marcel Brands, which suggests if that's happening, sporting directors tend to bring in their own men. What, who do you think will oh, take I over? I don't know. John might have a better, better insight on this. I don't know what you've heard in the great Fonseca. Well, Fon yeah. Fonseca yeah. is, uh, is an the Shakhtar. Mm, Look, he's done, he's done an OK managerial career. Um, Shakhtar have been quite entertaining this season. They gave a good performance against City, didn't they? Um, out of Europe, they got to the, the, the knockout stages, didn't they? So I guess they've, they've done OK, Shakhtar, this season. But I've, I've looked at his managerial CV and it wouldn't sell me, I've got to say, if I'm, if I'm an Everton fan. I'd be uh, I'd be looking for someone else, but um, I think Big Sam has to go, and and I, I say that with a heavy heart because I quite like him and I like him as a, as a fella, but I just don't think it's the right fit. And the Merseyside derby, the last ten minutes of that Merseyside derby, when they finally tried to score a goal and tried to win a game, actually I think that outlined the problem with Big Sam and Everton because it's like you're playing Liverpool's B team, never going to have a better chance to win a Merseyside derby. I haven't won since 2010. They only tried to win it in the last 10 minutes. And that, I think, is something that won't sit well with the Everton fans. And ultimately, I think they will not drive him out, but I feel that their dis, you know, dissatisfaction will, will end up being mm. the... Uh, the, it's not the good final now. It's, it's, it's not a good fit. He doesn't play. Too defensive. Yeah, he doesn't play the football that you know that Everton fans want to yeah. see. I think Everton are really trying to drive from Mashiri, and I think it's got Ken Wright's blessing. Big changes at the club, not just kind of the manager, but obviously Brands <clears> that might you know see, see the end you know of, of Steve Walsh for, for example. Mm. Um, but I think they're, they're, they're reviewing the club from top to bottom and they really want to change coaching and technical yeah. staff. Because if you look at the dynamics of the Premier League, there's a few clubs, four, you know, four or five clubs, capable at the moment of disappearing over in the hill and into the distance because mm. they're making such strides. And Everton are an ambitious club with great tradition mm. and they do not want to be caught and, and left so so drastically behind. That's why I think the, mm. the change is being driven. I, I still can't believe they didn't go for Sean Dyche. I think that's, that was... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Although, you know... And they really didn't, did yeah, they? They should have. For all the talk, but they yeah. didn't. Yeah, I was amazed. Um, but but 
we're talking about Sam being a defensive manager. Maybe, maybe they thought he was too defensive. I, I don't know. Mm. I'd love to see Sam, uh, Sean Dyche get the chance with a with a better squad. Actually, are they a better squad of players? That's mm. <laughs> you know that's no, arguable agree, this season. Yeah. Well, he'd make him a better squad of players if he went there. <laughs> he would. Um, my favourite question, which I think I'll probably put to you. This is, <laughs> this is four questions in one from uh, Nathan Williamson. Should you have Tabasco sauce with bubble and squeak? Why have dogs got wet noses? Jam or marmalade? Why won't Arsenal sack Wenger? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yes. I, I haven't the foggiest. Marmalade. And I haven't the foggiest. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I do think it's, um, it, it's a really... Well, the, basically, last season, the, the, the dynamic of the football club was that I do think a lot of people from top to bottom wanted to change it in 2017. And I think for Wenger, it would have been the perfect exit and the perfect time to say goodbye. But it, honestly, I keep on saying this, it was the old guard that they basically wanted to change it as much as anything. They're sort of the old traditionalists in the boardroom. And ultimately, Stan Kroenke, you know, I sat down with him and did an interview with him sort of in the autumn and, and he was saying it was the toughest decision. And it was a harder decision in many ways to stick with, with, with Wenger. And I think they did think long and hard about it. I think they should have made the change. I think it makes it even harder this summer to kind of think about making the change. But I do think they need to do it. They should have done it in glory in 2017. And if they have to make it in 2018, well, it will be in despair and in, de in defeat. And as I say, I do think he could end up winning... Europa League and people say oh that's fantastic he's got back in the Champions League give it one more year but actually the, the, the better thing to do would be get back in the in the Champions League and ride off again into the sunset in glory and that would be for me a fitting farewell to a manager who's been the best they've ever had probably the best they will have and yet we're in this position where Arsenal fans are just praying for him to go which is such a crying shame. Mm. I think we all need a bit of perspective sometimes. And for me, it's been provided by the passing of, of Ray Wilkins, which you talked about earlier, John. And also the inquest into the death of Dermot Drummy, who you, know, you were good enough to introduce me to. A really terrific, warm football man, if you like. What does that say about the unrecognised pressures there are on managers and coaches when they're out of the game? Well, I do think it's... It's devastating because I think what people can't always understand is that basically if you're in the game, you're a manager or a coach working at a football club, it's 24-7. It's all-encompassing. The pressure means that you can't sleep at night. Basically, you're switched off. When, when you, even with your, your family and your quiet time, you just cannot concentrate on anything or think about anything else but your work and your football. It's like a drug and it's an addiction. And then I think if you are then forced out, if you're if you're sacked, if you're treated harshly, then not only do you have that kind of sense of failure, which is so unfair because you've given you absolutely everything, then also how do you fill your time? And that I think that almost you know just completely vacant space of trying to fill that time can be so depressing. And then I think it can affect people in many different ways. And I think if you have issues in the past, for example, or kind of, you know, you, you're feeling completely you've got a void in your life. How on earth do you cope with that? And I think we knew, do need to look at it. I think the LMA, in fairness, are trying to, to address it, and they do a very good job for managers, I think, in the main, the LMA. But I think we, we overlook how... We talk about boxers a lot and how they, they kind of drift out of the boxing game because that is, is all-encompassing. Well, I think that the football management and coaching is every bit as that, and perhaps even more so. Can you identify with that, Adrian? Yeah, I echo what you what you said, John. Yeah, I think that we need to look after the mental health of our managers and players a little bit better than what we do, and, and just hope that there's as much of a support network as possible for for people that come out of the game. There is a huge void, and you need you know good people around you, people that will engage in conversation. Because if you bottle things up within yourself, then then we know what can happen. And once depression bites, then then you're in a real tough place. And uh, yeah, I'm, the sad thing is, I'm actually surprised that we haven't 
had more instances of you know of what we've seen with Dermot Drummy, which is an inc- incredibly um, sad story. So um, yeah, if the LMA can do a little bit more to PFA to to support people that come out of the game, that 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 can only be a good thing. Yeah, football didn't show the kindness to Dermot that he showed to others, and Ray was more popular than he realised. Please remember, managers and coaches are human beings. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of non-stop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a woman-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.